This is the South African Composers Archive, um, and let's leap straight into this. So my next guest, uh, you'll know him for his choral works that are regularly performed all over the globe by uh, groups such as the Acoustica Chamber Singers, the Molin Chorus, Corda Juni Santa Cristina, the Ladinia uh, Women's Chorus, and the King Singers. Um, you'll know him for his work with his own ensembles, such as the Horizon Project Choir and the Vox Chamber Choir, as well as uh, the Paz Consort. You'll also know him for his original scores for stage productions, such as Marnmont, Buchel van Lifter, Pygmalion, A Doll's House, Skruit Honda, A Clockwork Orange, and Marat Saad, and for his work on the short film Nowhere, uh, once again via Skype, uh, all the way from Pretoria, I think that's where you currently are. Um, yes. I'd like to welcome Franco Prinzlu. Thank you very much for doing this this morning. Thank you, Matthijs. It's awesome. Uh, after a long preamble, which no one will ever hear, um, involving uh, how the fuck does Skype and uh, all these various <laughs> technologies work. So, yeah, let's jump straight into it. Um, who or what inspired you to start a career in music? Well, at, when I was um, doing high school, I had music as a subject and I really loved um, playing piano and singing and and uh, being involved in performing arts. And I think it all started when my Afrikaans teacher gave me a, a, a book with Afrikaans poetry and I discovered this poem by the Afrikaans poet N.P. van Weet Low. Right. It's called Nachliki. It's a night song, a nocturne. Right. And uh, while I was bunking uh, one of my classes and going to the music center, <laughs> I started <laughs> to fiddle around with the words and I ended up setting the poem um, when I was in about grade 10. Okay. And I really loved that process of taking words and turning it into music. So I think it all started there. So, I mean, you mentioned already that uh, sort of the, the choral side of things. This is like easily, it's kind of easy to spot in, in your output. It's like, you like writing choir music. <laughs> so that that yeah. comes from like school days, you say. I think it all started with, with vocal music or being inspired by poetry or the, or the text. Right. Um, I really, I really got inspiration from poetry and I really wanted to become an actor first when I, when I was still a teenager and I thought oh, I wanted to go study drama. So poetry and, and books were really um, part of my everyday life. I was reading tons and tons of poetry at that time. Right. Um, and I think it all started with that, that inspiration from, from the, the text and trying to translate that into something musical, right. something naturally musical, yes. Do you come from a, a musical family at all, or uh, was this sort of your, your, you're the only one, kind of the Highlander, as it were? <laughs> well, in, I grew up in a town called Middleburg in Pumalanga, and it's a very small town, right. and we, we had, we had um, only one or two music teachers at the time uh, in, in, in Middleburg, and my grandmother was the organist in our church. Okay. And she would accompany the, the, the music at church. And we would all, always do um, duets together and we would play together. And from a young age, I started to learn piano. And right. she also gave me lessons. And later I went to one of the teachers in town. 
and yeah so she was a very musical person and i we really spent a lot of time together and and i must say it's it's a very cool thing to have a musical granny you yes. know that can <laughs> help you with your theory exams yes yeah no i <laughs> growing up with a, a musical granny in the house that is, is something i can definitely uh, relate to um although like i know my my dad would always sort of make fun of how like my my grandmother and essex so I mean, there's a long family history of so her father. Her father was a concert master who played under people like Strauss and Furtwängler and guys like that when he was in Switzerland. Um, but so she would have like her box of scores and things st- stashed away. And there's a story my dad loves telling of my brother, who may have been like four or five at the time, going through these scores. And in probably the the, the less than grandmotherly response, her walking in and going, Jesus fucking Christ, what's wrong with you? <laughs> kind of like, it's like, Gran, we don't say that to our child. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, my grandmother also had this box of scores. Right. And... It was these ancient scores because my great-grandmother also played piano and she collected all these scores with these beautiful covers. It was these elaborately illustrated covers and they were so beautiful. And I would always sit and go through that box and pick the one with the most beautiful picture. And I'll tell her, I want to play this one. (laughs) Regardless of what was inside in the sheet music, you know, at the moment. Right. So... Yeah, after having uh, done it a little bit at school, did you formally uh, study music or composition? Yes, after school I went to study in Potchefstroom. Okay. I went to the Northwest University and I studied music at the at the School of Music. And what happened then is I I met the wonderful world of choir. Right. Um, I I got into the Pukkur uh, with Avi van Wyk. Uh, in my first year, and I just absolutely fell in love with choir. I was singing at in, in high school. I was singing in the Pumalanga Youth Choir, right. um, and I was really passionate about singing. Uh, but when I when I got to university, and I really started to appreciate the art of of choir music um, at university, it just I became fascinated and obsessed. Right. Did you study uh, composition at all at uh, at at Poch? No, no, I studied piano. Right. Um, my first instrument was piano. And later on, I also um, tried uh, to take singing as a subject. But at that time, I just uh, didn't practice enough. So I just stuck with the piano, um, but never had composition formally. Right. Um, but what I would do is I would write music, choral music, and I will take it to uh, Professor Arvi van Weyck. Right. And then he'll he'll have a look at my scores, and uh, he was a big mentor for me in developing my skill for writing for the for the choir. Right. And also singing in a choir, I find, is the is the best um, training uh, to write for choir. Yes. Uh, if you if you sing in the choir, you understand the instrument, and you understand what you can do with with the instrument. And I think that's a greater learning school. 
as any formal training that you know yeah can give you choral choral writing is so hard i find like for for me but i mean obviously you do it a hell of a lot more so like not so much for you but it is like it is a very it's a tricky beast to master and like i don't know are there, there are many who have tried and failed but i think definitely like having listened to a lot of the stuff that you've put out there sort of choral music uh you very clearly are in control of of that beast well you have to understand the beast yeah to be in control of the beast you know yeah and i think once you 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 understand that thing you are writing for a voice this is not a violin yes you cannot treat it as a as an instrument you have to treat it as a as a voice then then it all becomes a little bit easier i think yeah i know i mean my so uh, my friend galena she when she was working on the the madness cantata the people who were sort of in charge of the production she needed to give sort of regular uh feedback as to uh like how it was sounding and because she didn't want to necessarily just send them sort of like a Sibelius mock-up she ended up recording herself singing each individual part kind of thing just to give them like a rough idea of this you know hour long work and uh, i remember at the time her saying it's like look at least she knows like these these parts are very singable <laughs> it's like i've done them yeah, myself yeah. like yeah i always do that when i write music uh, when when i compose something new for choir music i also sing sing the parts yes um i think it's very important because you have to have that flow you yeah. know i think at the end of the day the alto shouldn't go uh, again we're only singing only one note yeah. or you know the basses go oh it's so boring we're always singing just the same thing kind of thing um, I think it's important to give every voice group in the choir something interesting because then everybody partakes in this in this musical thing that you have created yes I mean like I, if I think back up to like all your earlier uh, vocal pieces of mine I'd sort of sing along and then uh, every now and then sort of like struggle to breathe. And it's just like chalking it up. To, it's like, well, I smoke two packs a day and like a professional will be able to do this. It's just like, actually, maybe I need to rethink how I've written it. Kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you if you sing it and you need to breathe, just give them a breath. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what was your first commission or, or the first time someone said to you, hey, I want you to write something for me. I like what I hear of yours. Well, I had the Northwest um, Youth Choir for two years when I was still in Pochestrum. And I started to write music for them. And then one of the singers got into, after after he did Northwest Youth Choir, he got into the University of Johannesburg Choir with Renette Bower. And... I composed a piece for the for the youth choir called it was just a setting of the unused day and he was so madly in love with this piece and he took the sheet music to Renette Bauer and he said please may we sing this piece and he he ended up convincing her to sing the piece and then she called me and said um can we sing this piece and I said please don't sing it because I really really need to revise it first right <laughs> and um so I revised it for them and I sent them the sheet music and then the University of Johannesburg Choir ended up performing my unused day and that was kind of the first time uh, somebody performed one of my compositions except my own choir or the university choir that I sang in and then later on just after that Lente Marie Pitou of the University of Pretoria Youth Choir asked me to compose a piece for them 
and she wanted an Afrikaans piece, and I think that was my first formal commission right. uh, by the University of Pretoria Youth Choir. And I set a poem also by N.P. van Wijklow, Kom vannacht in my drome. Right. I set to, to music for them, and, I, and that started the whole process uh, for me to, to write full Oh, sorry, you, bro- you broke up there? You still there? piece um, that I was paid to, to compose. So that really started the whole thing. Okay, you broke up there, but I, I think I caught the the that was the first piece, the the Konfenach was the first piece that you were asked officially sort of commissioned. Yes, yes, by the University of Pretoria. Right, which I it's funny I can actually say uh, jinx in as much as that uh, when I was a student still possible I think the first choral piece that I was ever asked to write was also based on Konfenach Medrama. Um, which oh, wow. I, I have, I have long not disavowed, but buried very deep in my hard drive. <laughs> so it's like no one needs to know it exists. <laughs> you no, you, mu- you must, you must immediately no. take it out of the the cupboard and and send it to me. I would love to see it. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, uh, it depends on on your feelings on Kerk choral type music. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, it Maybe was, you need to revise. Yes, no, I, I need to revisit it. Uh, although I won't lie, like I do have it stuck in my head every now and then, just the beginning. But like, oof, no, no, thank you. <laughs> well, that's the great thing about having stuff, um, you know, that you've written years and years ago. Sometimes you feel, oh, this is this is not good enough, or this is not something that I would like to to present at the moment. But I tend to always have stuff that I keep there yeah. uh, in a deep dark folder somewhere in the corner uh, of my desktop and you know because there's themes and there's ideas there um that you could actually just go and revisit and i've i've seen with me um sometimes to revisit those old ideas you suddenly get struck by a new idea and then something beautiful can grow out of that yes there's a an ongoing project i've been doing just for myself when i was nine i attempted to write an opera and um like i mean it, it's obviously incredibly basic um a lot of unisons and and such but i i found these scores recently and i've started inputting them into sibelius just for the sake of like well fuck i want to hear how this is actually meant to sound yeah um and there is i think there's one theme from it which i've already like nabbed for a more recent piece it's just like no yeah, you know, yeah like, that's I like this. amazing I'll, I'll do something with it because um, sometimes those ideas are the purest, you know. It's like I, I recently also discovered something I wrote when I was in my first year. Right. And I looked at it and I thought it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> but this one little piece, this one little idea yeah. is fantastic. And I, I also used that in a new composition, you know. So it's worthwhile visit, revisiting the past, you yeah, know. Yeah, completely. So, I mean, speaking, speaking of older works, you mentioned uh, sort of as an example, there is a song cycle. Yes, yes. That is part of a song cycle called Nuit Lake. Um, it's based on poetry by um, Elizabeth Abish, Afrikaans poet as well. She was the first published female poet in the Afrikaans language. And she has this beautiful, beautiful... Um, not an anthology of poetry called Nuit Lake, and I selected, I think it was five or six pieces, um, and I, I composed a, a song cycle for Magdalene Minar, right. and she performed it on the on the recording as well, 
and it's for soprano, harp, clarinet, and cello. Well, we performed it for the very first time with Keith Moss had this project called the Pass Consort. Yes. And we were doing a lot of uh, new music in Pretoria, and um, that was part of, I think, one of the very first concerts we did with the Pass Consort in Pretoria. Yes. And and he was playing cello on the on the original performance of the piece, and then. A few years later, I decided to re-record the work, and then I asked Magdalene Minar to to sing it again. And Jude Harpstar, I don't know if you know her, she's a fabulous um, harp player in Johannesburg. She played on the track as well, and it turned out to be an absolutely fantastic recording, you know? Right.
So the past consort, uh, there were I think two concerts that I had stuff included of. Uh, the, that was the one was for this concert as well, where there was something I did based on a Spike Milligan poem. Um, yes, I remember that. And and the other was you were, were you involved with the uh, the Jewish Museum Quartet uh, concerts. For that one, I was not. Oh, that okay. was the one where, where they had the, the beautiful pictures and then the composers had to write something based on the pictures. Yes, yes yeah, exactly. Okay, no, okay. Now that, 
I thought you were part of that. Anyway, sorry. Now, I was part of the first one. I think it was called Pendulum. Yes. And then later on, we did a lot of different projects. That we later did a project with Keith and Peter um, with choir music. And that yes, whole right. project of the past consort ended up creating the Horizons Project Choir. So, because we did, <laughs> sorry, we did this project where we did your dad's uh, choir work, a piece, Horizons. So this was the question that I was wanting to ask. I I see the name Horizon Project pop up quite often. And every time I see it, there's like this Pavlovian response of like, this has got to be somehow connected to like, you know, a choral piece called Horizon. You have a choir called the Horizon Project. So I'm glad I can finally put this mystery to rest. Like, it was yes. one of like, is this connected? Yes. So what happened is Peter and I went to Keith and we said to him, well, we would like to do... Uh a choral project of new music and Peter will conduct the the choir and then we all ended up writing new music and um, Peter sent out some uh, call for scores and we really wanted to only do new music yes um, but then Peter said let's do something uh, a South African composition that we all really love and that really inspired all of us and right. then he 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 wanted to do um, horizons Right. And because that piece was kind of for him, I think he said once in a concert, it was he was singing that piece when he w he was singing in um, university choir, and for him that started his love affair with choral music. Right, right, right. right. You know? So he ended up calling the choir the Horizons Project Choir, and after that we've done almost I think eleven projects now. Right. Um, of new South African choral music. I see I see stuff constantly online. It's really impressive that like that it keeps going as well. Like to to maintain something for that long is is fantastic. It's really really cool. Um, well, there's a lot of music out there, yes. you know. A lot of choral composers and people writing stuff and sending stuff. So I think as long as the composers write, the choir will sing. Right. That's good to know. Um so what is your process? How do you put a piece together? Well, that's that's a tricky question. Um, I think I'm normally always drawn for vocal music to the text, you know, to honor the text and to honor the inflection of the the, the words and the rhythm of the of the text. Right. So I think I always start with that. I think it's for me personally, it's a very difficult thing to think about music before I start with the text, you know. Uh, the the words or the poetry always should inform the music. I don't think it should function other way around. You know, having music and then trying to fit in words. Right, right, right. Do you sketch you know, stuff so, beforehand, or do you sort of like let it happen as as you're going along? Well, I I start with the words, so I say the words out loud to myself, and then I make notes of the rhythms right. uh, inside the poetry. So I have these notebooks filled with poems and. <laughs> the poetry just literally translated into rhythms. Right. Do you ever write this? Uh, I don't know if I've noticed this in the stuff that you write, but do you ever write your own texts or do you always base it on someone else's? Well, I have written text in the past. Normally when I, I've, I've done this um, cabaret show That's right, a few yeah. years ago where I wrote all kinds of silly and wonderfully funny cabaret songs, which I performed on the piano, and I did all the text for that. But... Uh, I, I like poetry and I really like when I compose music to feel that I am 
interpreting this poem and I'm bringing it to life and I'm imagining it for what it could be for me, you know? So I I find it more fun to take poetry and set to music as opposed to write new lyrics for pieces. Right. So, I mean, you mentioned obviously that uh, like the the poem is a very influential part of, of how you create. What composers would you say uh, influence influ, influence? Wow, let me so said I'm, I'm influenza influence. So you <laughs> there was a tweet I saw recently which which made me laugh. Of uh, Kanye West posted something saying, "I will never make um, a diss album." And someone's uh, reply was best read in a bad Italian accent, but <laughs> um, so yeah. What who would you consider are your sort of biggest musical influences? You know, I listen to so much music. I have, I am. A, I when the moment when I got Apple Music in my life, um, <laughs> it all changed. I think I sat for the first two weeks when my subscription for Apple Music started and I just listened to music, hours and hours of music. Um, But there's a few composers that I really do like. Um, For example, somebody like, um, you know, choral composers like Morten Lauritsen has really influenced me. Um, He's done also a lot of settings of poetry and religious music. And I think for for me, when I sang in the choir, um, we sang a lot of that kind of music and i i i think that influenced me a lot right. in the style that i write in but when we speak of text and poetry composers such as stephen sondheim for example okay. that composes mainly for musical theater yes. um he influenced me a lot in the way that he used text you know the inflection of language and how to try and translate that into a natural kind of sounding way yeah you know his his songs are beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, and I, I think sometimes also um, the way he uses chromatics to to imitate how how the the inflection of the voice goes, I think that's really inspiring. Yes. And I always try and incorporate that into my writing. That idea of when you speak, you have this inflection, and I need to translate that natural inflection into into sound. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's some beautiful stuff that he's written. Um, I I don't know as much Sondheim as I probably should, but like, what of of his what that I have heard, I really like. Um, I'm, I think I'm one of the biggest Sondheim groupies out there. <laughs> right. Um. So, what I can say, like listening to to your your choral stuff, listening, there was a work of yours that I heard. Uh, for violin and piano and stuff that's up on your soundcloud page for anyone who's listening who's interested to check out more um there is a very like there is a lot of beauty in the stuff that you write and i don't know i i it's maybe that's a loaded word i kind of uh as a composer i'm quite envious usually of composers who can write beautiful music it's something that i struggle with quite a bit uh to the point where i've learned a very cheap trick of like you know use a lot of clusters and then every now and then all you need to do is throw in a very nice chord and it works <laughs> like there there's your <laughs> like a basic c major chord it's like hey there, there's your beauty um <laughs> but how would you describe your current style oh it's difficult to say because it it constantly changes um with regards to writing um so-called beautiful music i think 
I, as a composer, I, I write music that I would like to listen to. Yeah. You know? And I am a sucker for beautiful music. I love, I love um, music that tells a story and can take you on a journey. I'm the biggest Disney music fan. Right. I love Disney music. I love music that can tell a story. Um, and I think that's what I try to do. If you, you know, talking about style or what I try to achieve, I, I really like to tell a story in the music mm-hmm. and to take a listener on a journey where they, where they can immerse themselves in a landscape or immerse themselves in the idea of what I'm trying to portray, you know? So I really think um, storytelling is a big part of um, composition for me. Right. But I mean, like stylistically, musically? Oh, sorry. Well, I'm, I'm very much influenced, I think, um, by minimalist music. Right. You know, you know um, simple, beautiful melodies. I'm definitely influenced by Renaissance music. Right, right, right. Yes. Um, I, I yeah, vocal music of the Renaissance, I think that influenced me a lot. Yeah, it's a difficult thing. I think we must leave that to the musicologist to decide. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so you mentioned a, a little bit of, uh, Hor- uh, not Horizons, the King Singers, which ties us nicely to the, the next question, which is talking about works of yours that uh, are more recent. And you sent a couple of examples if you'd like to talk about them. Yes, so a few years ago, the King Singers came uh, for another tour to South Africa, and um, it, it, the whole project was organized by the Northwest University. And they gave me a call and asked me, would you like to compose a piece for the King Singers? Yes. And my first response was, uh, are you serious? Right. <laughs> and I said, well, absolutely, I would like to compose very much, uh, would like to compose a piece for them. And by that time, I didn't know what what will I write. And they asked for something in in, in, in one of the South African indigenous languages. Right. And I thought, what would I compose? And at that time, I'd already written this multilingual um, choral musical work called Naledian African Journey, which was this awesome collaboration between between poets and um, writers. And I really did a lot of research. And then one of my friends, Bonnie Sile, wrote this poem about about rain. And the poem was in Setswana. And that was one of the one of the works that um, featured in a lady. But it was only, I think at that time, a normal SATB setting of, of her poem. And I kept on struggling with the idea of what will I compose? What will I write for the King Singers? And um, I then decided to, to recompose this whole piece for them using two countertenors. And it really, it really became this beautiful prayer for rain. And at that time, we had this big drought in South Africa. Cape Town was suffering. Yes. Um, and it was just this beautiful poem that she wrote. And I set it to music or recomposed it, reworked it for the King Singers um, and sent it to them. And they really liked it.
yeah, that was that was a big thing for me, and I think um, also made me as a composer look into different ways of composing and and gathering text. And from that experience with Naledi, I've I've really collaborated with a lot of poets right. um, on writing music and writing multilingual text for for music. You know, works that include different languages uh, in one singular work works that have Afrikaans, English, Setswana and Isizulu in one work. Right, right. Yeah, text... Yeah, so it set me on that path. It, the hardest part I find always for, for vocal writing is finding a text that one is, is happy with. Um, I always... It's, and then there's the whole question of like, you know, you, do you choose something that is incredibly well known? Do you find something that is unknown? Like there was a point where I started constantly looking for anonymous poems. Just it's also purely as stupid as it sounds from like a getting obtaining the rights to use the poem. That becomes a pain in the ass as well. I know like there was a, a, a piece my dad wrote at one point uh, based on uh, the poems of, of Carl Sandburg. And it's sort of like he was commissioned to write it, but then there was the minor snag of like the Sandberg Foundation maybe going, uh, actually, no, we don't want you to do this. It's like, <laughs> yeah. the piece is done. Like, what the fuck? You know? So, yeah, well, no, but it, it, so being able to collaborate with the poet is that's a, a fantastic way of, of doing it, I think. Um, I think you, you've yeah, cracked the code there. <laughs> absolutely wonderful because then also it becomes this organic process of writing you know when you collaborate with with poets it becomes organic it becomes true it becomes real and that really it does reflect in the music i think yeah completely you know one of my biggest headaches in life is when i find a beautiful poem in a book somewhere because i constantly just buy books yes and when i find a beautiful poem and i think oh this is perfect and i start to think in my head what this could sound like and then something in the back of my mind is just google it just quickly google it and then boom 70 settings by different composers yes you know so that's a headache so to find find uh, something original that hasn't been done before is quite challenging I once uh, for Christmas, which this is going to tie in nicely to the next question, but once for Christmas I decided to to like make things for the family, and uh, my stepmom uh, at the time was very involved with the the NNMU choir, Janith Lamprecht, and yes, yes. Uh, she so I decided to write something for them, 
And just randomly, I was like, well, I like the poems of Blake. Let me have a look. And I was like, oh, this one's really nice. And set the lamb. And sort of, you know, like, here you go. And get like a, oh, that's lovely. You should really hear by the... F-. I was like, oh, fuck. You mean this is actually quite a popular... It's like, well, yeah. okay. Off, off to the body shop I go to find something there instead. Like, it's like, do you like Carol Boyce? Okay, let's get you a spoon. Uh, but um, anyway. So, which leads to the question of, uh, with, you know, having to make presents for people. How do you survive? How do you make a living as a composer? Well, I have a few choirs that I conduct. I have um, a high school choir uh, and two um, senior choirs at a, at, a, at a school. And then I also have the Vox Chamber Choir, yeah. which is my ad- adult choir, young professionals. Um, but I, I write music for school choirs and I write a lot of music for youth choirs. So I make a living of conducting and of composing uh, for choirs. But I also um, sometimes write for film and uh, write dabble in some corporate things like jingles yeah. and some ad music. You know, so I, I find you really need to have your fingers in all of the pies yes. to make a decent living as a composer. I mean, from what I can see uh, through your, your CV, um, you do a lot of stage works. Uh, how, yes. how did that come about? How did you start uh, that? Um, also, when I was in university, I did this collaborative um, theatre piece with one of my friends and also a very amazing musician, Natanya Brink. And we set a um, bunch of poetry by Breiten Breitenbach to music and we worked with some poets as well to write some new stuff. And we had this kind of uh, word, spoken word production with music. And we went on tour with that and we, we took it to some of the arts festivals. And then... One of the professors at the university, Prof. Hans Duplessis, I don't know, you might know him, he, he wrote all the Greek upper Salams, and, and he asked us to uh, do a production that he wrote, Buchu um, Fanny Lifter. Right. Uh, he asked me to be the musical director for that, and we ended up taking that production to festivals as well around the country. And after that, I, I really wanted to get involved into the theatre scene, because I always had this passion uh, for, for theatre. And one of my friends, Karina Lemmer, is, uh, is a, a senior lecturer at the University of Technology, Trana University of Technology in Pretoria. And she does a lot of productions with her students. And she asked me right after that to compose uh, original score for one of her productions. And since then, we've had, I think, about 10 or 11 productions that we did together where I will do uh, the score for, for her shows. And then sometimes it won't be a formal written score. It would be this uh, workshopped sound landscape that we do with the, with the drama students. Right. You know, to explore the idea of how to create sounds uh, or a landscape with only using stage props or only using paper, uh, which is what was the, was the set. The whole set was made of boxes and paper. So we would use that to create soundtracks. And I've collaborated with her on a lot of productions. And from that, it's, it started to bleed out to different directors and different theatres. And I've done quite a few productions um, where I did musical theatre um, and where I did uh, really avant-garde theatre and educational theatre. Right, so something... Okay. I even, I even wrote a children's musical okay. once um, called 
Victor and the Groen Planet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, a lot of fun. Yeah. No, I mean, I would say, like, so, um, if anyone, whoever, if anyone's listening to this, whoever's listening to this, like, I mean, this is the, the first time that you and I have ever spoken, um, unless I'm forgetting something, <laughs> which is also possible. No, no. Um, I was trying to think earlier, when, have we, have we physically met in real life? And I, I, I can't remember I that we ever did. don't think we have, but what I have, like, for years now, like, so, I mean, obviously, everyone that I'm speaking to are, are at very points in their career or you know some have long careers some shorter but what i've been very aware of for quite a long time is that i you're constantly being performed like you you're one of the few composers that i can think of who like very regularly i see something happening which leads to the next question of of all the shows and stuff that that you've been doing what is your favorite performance memory oh or like we were, I was conducting the Vox Chamber Choir um, at the end of last year at our farewell concert, the last year-end concert. And we were performing this song um, called Naledi's Leap from Naledi and African Journey. Mm. And the whole song builds up to this immense climax. And at the very last moment, the whole choir stomps their feet and clap their hands together. Right. And then creates this really tranquil... Um, nature ambient sound right and when we performed the piece we built up to this beautiful climax and the moment the choir stomped and made this big bang a big flash of light <laughs> and thunder <laughs> covered the world right. and it started to to hail wow <laughs> so it was this perfectly timed musical <laughs> moment where nature was an active participant in the composition um so it was just this magical moment, um, and the whole audience went, oh, wow, you know? <laughs> I mean, does it was one, so perfect. So does, I think maybe that was one of my most favorite live performing that, moments That is ever. fantastic. I mean, like, who does one, did, like, does one give God a producer credit or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... And also featuring God and nature. <laughs> I know, uh, was know? it? There, there was a thing I saw a while back of um, it. It's on one of the albums by Queen. It's on jazz, I think, where one of the songs starts with a, a, a lightning strike, and the band got into a lot of trouble because they credited like lightning strike by God. Kind of, it's like, <laughs> no, you're not allowed to put that in liner notes. Kind of thing. Yeah, you know, you must just turn around and tell the audience, well, this composition for choir, piano, and thunder strikes yes. you know like i like, actually wrote it in the score you know you must just if you want to see the score afterwards just come to me it's like working <laughs> together with a team of meteorologists you figured out this is the exact moment to start the piece so that at that point yeah you know i had to pull some strings yeah. of the the all your various pieces what would you consider uh, is a favorite of yours or that's a weird way of asking what's your, your favorite piece well, very recently I did a project uh, with a violist called Elmeri van der Pfeiffer, and I composed a piece for her uh, for the International Viola Congress in Rotterdam. Right. And I went over there um, with her to attend the conference, and the piece that I wrote for her was called The Broken String, and it's based on this, on this very touching poem, um, I think it's, uh, everybody will know that poem, The Broken String, um, from the Lloyd and Bleak collection. And I wanted to set something for solo viola that 
really tried to imitate this idea that I have of, of inflection of language. So I set the poem um, to music uh, for viola and wrote the text underneath the, the, the notation for Elmerie so that she can, while she's playing um, instrumental music, be aware of what, what the music is trying to say right. know, as a, a kind of experiment on musical or language inflection. Yes. And I wrote it for a loop station as well. So it, it starts with the first loop and then it builds a second and a third. And that process of writing really, um, I, I found that I, that's the perfect place for me to, to combine what I know of vocal music I can combine into writing for for instrumental music. Right. So that has become one of my favorites, and um, we're doing a recording in a few months of this piece. Yeah, and I really hope it comes out well. But I think that's one of my favorite pieces because I had this big journey of trying to consolidate vocal writing with instrumental writing and finding the space in between where we can, where I can feel comfortable in writing for instrumental. Uh, or for instruments, right, you know, because right. I'm not used to writing for instruments. But I think I've discovered that when I write for instruments, I should I, I, I write for as if I'm writing for the voice, right. um, you know, and to try and find a compositional like angle for that to work or a compositional method for that to work is was really quite cool. Right, right. You also mentioned there was a, a, a song cycle of I think it's for harp and voice. Yes, that's called uh, Pictures for Harp and Voice, and it's, uh, that's actually a very interesting piece because I did this project with Peter Besaignet as well, with a soprano from Hong Kong, Jessica Hung, and a harpist from Hong Kong, Judy Ho. And we did this project called In Between, a semi-stage song cycle, and she asked me to write something in Cantonese, which is her language. Right. I asked her to sing in Afrikaans and she asked me to compose in Cantonese. Okay. So it was this great challenge to write in a language that I literally know nothing of. But it became this beautiful collaboration between me and the soprano where I will send her some ideas and she will send me some, some notes back. And this happened for quite a long time because Cantonese language has nine inflections that indicate meaning. Right. So if you set a word to uh, music and the the line goes up and as opposed to down, it can mean something totally different. Right, right. You know, so this became this really cool, cool process where I would write music and she will uh, send me notes back and we will really work on this. And it became this beautiful collaborative work. And we ended up performing that at the Hong Kong Fringe Club and also in, uh, at a concert at the Music Academy in Singapore. And after, a, I think it was a year, um, they came to South Africa and we repeated the whole concert um, in Pretoria and in Joburg and also uh, at the Art Club Festival. And that was really a, a really fun project to do because I could really learn a lot. I think that's the the way of the future. <laughs> you know, if I may be so bold, uh, that th whole thing about collaboration. Yes. Collaborating with people um, to really discover things that you would never go to, a yeah. language that you would never go to in fear of appropriation, for example. Right. But then collaborating with people and then discovering these things between you 
and finding the links in that. I think that was an absolutely beautiful project. I think there's something a lot more authentic if you actually collaborate with the person, say, as you say, like in another language, if you're doing it like that versus sort of approaching it from a, like, I'm going to take that language and just write something. Uh, oh, absolutely. I would I, never dare. I would never dare. <laughs> right. There's actually, just thinking of, of that, that piece as well, listening to it, am I mistaken that there's like some kind of a percussive element? Is it like a spinning wheel or something like that? So um, I think you're referring to uh, the, the song called Sleeping on a Night of Autumn Rain. Yes. So the harpist plays the, the accompaniment and then with her left hand continues with the ostinato and then taps on the on the soundboard of the the harp to create this rain effect right 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 yeah no because i was listening to it a a couple of days ago and sort of like what is that like couldn't quite place sort of like off in the distance sort of quiet enough hence thinking like spinning wheel surely not like or i don't know (laughs) anyway (laughs) yeah so so throughout the whole um cycle we've used some um extended technique for the harp to try and create this uh, sound world and for this specific um song um it's sleeping on a night of autumn rain yeah um, and it's by a by a chinese poet called bakoya right and i really hope that i do pronounce it right because uh, they spent a lot of hours trying to help me pronunciate this uh this the poet <laughs> bakoya um but probably I didn't do it right. Um, but uh, he, he was a poet um, of the, the Tang Dynasty, and she chose the poetry um, because it really resonated with her, and then the collaboration started. And um, the, the harpist, Judy, um, she's really into extended technique, so I've collaborated with her as well right. to incorporate that in the music. You right, know? right.
What is the best advice you've ever received from a teacher or a mentor? Well, maybe let, let me start here. The best thing that a teacher or a mentor could ever do uh, was to give my Afrikaans teacher in high school to give me this Breiten Breitenbach set of poetry because <laughs> I think that really um, lit the fire uh, for my passion for, for poetry and setting right. it to music. Um, so I think that was a moment in my life where um, somebody just gave me a book. I don't think she actually thought of it too much. Maybe I just I was just 
too chatty in class and she she gave me a book to what, shut me up what is interesting <laughs> you know? just but as an that as- ended up being this amazing source of inspiration for me what's interesting just as an aside i don't know if, if you've listened to the episode where i i speak to my dad um he i mean you know as we spoke earlier he writes a lot of choral music as well and someone that he he mentions in a completely different question as being very inspirational to him was his english teacher who introduced his love to poetry so there definitely is this sort of like i think if you go and i oh, i don't know maybe this is from two people then i can definitely say this is how it is uh, <laughs> this that's where the study well, ends we must tell all teachers listening to this podcast um <laughs> give your kids poetry you know <laughs> <laughs> or don't Let if you don't read. want them to become Let choral composers read. i don't know <laughs> well i think the best advice i ever got was 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 by um my choral professor at university Avi van Vijk. um i i once went to him with a with a piece of music um that i had written and i i asked him well can you give me some advice and yeah. he said, why do you need advice? I said, you know, because I want to learn and I want you to teach me because uh, you're a fantastic composer and I look up to you as a, as a choral conductor. He says, well, I don't think you really need my advice. All that you need to do is just do what you do. Yeah. You know, be confident in what you are doing and the rest will follow. Well, I don't think that necessarily works always because if you don't know what you're doing, how can you be confident? But I think he tried to communicate something of self-confidence in me um, that he maybe saw. And I really um, appreciated that because I, I, I got the sense that he was really backing me and believing in me. Because everything I would take to him, he would really praise and tell me, this is absolutely beautiful. Okay, yeah. now let's work on this. Right. You know? Yeah. So he installed that sense of uh, self-worth when or not being scared to show something that you have created you know to someone right 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 so what would you then suggest to someone who is either sort of wanting to become a composer or is studying to become a composer or to the the new music scene in south africa as a whole what would you like to see from it or what would you suggest to it well, you know, my advice to somebody that wants to become a composer or start composing would be to listen to as much music as you possibly can. Yeah. There are so many music out there, you know, tons and tons of music available in the world. And, you know, those statistics, uh, you can't really listen to all the music that's ever been composed. Um, it's impossible. Yeah. You would spend your whole life listening. But really try and listen. Because yeah. I think listening... And listening to different genres and different styles and letting letting that influence you and not being scared to listen to um, music that that you that you might be um, less accom- uh, you know that you don't understand or music that you don't fully appreciate as yet. Yeah. Try and listen to it and find something that you can appreciate in the music because I think through listening we learn the most. Yeah, completely. I still think one one can learn probably more from listening to music that one doesn't like than listening to music that one does. I have absolutely agree with you. Like you know, ever so often, I I Google um, ridiculous sentences like, "What are the the top ten 
craziest albums of all time yes. you know and then i would listen to it listen to it yes. or then somebody would write on facebook they heard this composition by this composer and it was absolutely horrid and then i would go listen to it because i want to i want to understand and i want to experience new sounds you know yes no, complete. Like there, there's a story in the most recent episode uh, that I I posted on Facebook today, um, which I removed. Uh, the reason being, I, I was thinking about it after. Like, so I don't like in in uh, I'm talking uh, to Njabulo, and I'm I don't like slag into the piece. I'm not like oh this piece is a piece of crap. But there was a, a piece that the two of us heard together, and both of us kind of went away from it going like, ah, this was not good. But I, while I was editing the episode, I kind of took a step back and I was like, you know what? Actually, there is quite a lot of brave thing. There are quite a lot of brave things happening in this piece. So like automatically turning around going, this is horrible was maybe, I don't know. I jumped the gun a little bit too much, like thinking about it a little bit more. It's just like, okay, I might not necessarily like it, but there are definitely some brave compositional things that that person was either trying to do and didn't quite achieve or did. And like, I just, my own aesthetic, I didn't like it. So yeah, I don't know. Like one can even from stuff that one that that's just like this piece is batshit crazy. You can learn something from it. Um, sometimes, sometimes I'm so drawn to batshit crazy, yes. you know, because my music, the music that I wrote, tend to be very tonal. It tends it tends to be um, very um, film like. A lot of people have said that to me. It's very film like. Um, but I really I am drawn to very avant-garde music and very strange music and stuff that really um, makes people uncomfortable. I really like listening to, Um, you know, and and that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily say that's my aesthetic as a composer, but I'm drawn to that because I, I, I I can, I, I see the adventure in that sound world. I suppose it's that that sort of being free being kind of like 
you know, no limits, like I'm just going to do whatever I want kind of thing, which is, it, it's very inspiring, I find. Um, well, a project that we did a few years ago, I have, I have this friend called Andre van Rensburg. He's living in Tokyo. Right. And we did a, a project together called um, Duo Solucio. Um, and he, he improvises freely on the classical guitar. Uh, that's his main specialization. And we met about, I think it was six years ago, and I started to play with him. And I got this um, s totally broken piano from a friend, and right. he wanted to throw it away. And I said, no, no, please, give me the piano. But the piano stood outside for 10 years. So none of the keys were working, all the wood was rotten. So right. I took down all the wood, I took down all the keys, and uh, just so that the strings are exposed. And I started to improvise with him, um, with marimba mallets on the open strings. Right. And it was just this beautiful um, journey of, of discovering f to be free as a musician, you know? Yes. And we did a lot of concerts where it was absolutely free. Um, it was just improvising and feeding off of each other. And he would always push me to go more strange and more abstract and, yes. and really try to avoid any any form of repetition or any form of of cliche or something like that. And it, I must say that that was very inspiring to me. And that opened up a bigger world for me as a composer, you know, right. not being scared or being stuck in a structure or being struck, stuck in a, in a world or tonal system or anything like that. Yeah, completely. So those are the, the questions that I ask everybody. And um, at the end, I always like to ask a question from uh, an audience, uh, uh, audience member, as it were. Um, so if anyone who's, who's listening to this has any questions that they would like to ask any composer, uh, they can either find me on Facebook or I'm on Twitter at Bat Composer um, or I'm on Instagram. Uh, but yeah, you can send your questions to me. So the one that I, I was looking at, the, the list that I have, and I'm pretty certain that this was meant as a joke, but I think it uh, it opens a, a very important question um, or debate. Uh, so I'm going to modify it ever so slightly, but the question was, why compose if you can just play other people's music? Um, which I will change slightly to, why perform new music at all? I think... When you create new music, you create identity and you create identity for yourself and for the people that's performing the music. And, um, you know, we have this uh, this community of composers up here in Pretoria uh, and we're very close. All of the composers that we work with here, we communicate with each other and we speak with one another mm -hmm. and we have these discussions about music, you know, and I think in creating new music you you are in a sense creating uh, identity for for the time you're living in um you're creating the soundtrack to to your own life and you're creating the soundtrack to this um generation of people yeah you know i think that's very important because uh, for example if you only perform music that is already already written you have so much preconceived ideas about that music already um, you know, and I think performing and, and, and creating new music 
gives you the, that opportunity to really express yourself and be yourself, but also to create something uh, that's far bigger than you. Yeah. As, in, in, in a sense of subculture or in that idea of community, you know? Completely. I think also, like, from a... a a very sort of practical uh, way or pragmatic way. Like, I I think back, there was a, a friend of mine who was going to do an album and she spoke to me and a couple of other composers about writing new music for her. And the label then kind of convinced her, like, nah, no one's going to be interested in that. Rather just, like, here here are, like, the traditional canon of, of works for this instrument. Like, rather do that. And I always, whenever I think of that, it's always that kind of like, that's so, such a pity to, to sort of approach the thought from that. Like, I find, you know, you stand out more in inverted commas performing new works. Like, I, Absolutely. I, I don't need to hear, like, the Sibelius Violin Concerto again or whatever. Like, it's there. There, there. there are plenty of recordings. If I want to go back to it, I can, you know, flip a coin and go, yeah, sure, I'll listen to this one. Um, but it, it's like, I know, um, sort of chatting, there was another group that I know who was trying to, uh, get into a festival of some kind and they sent a program of like, you know, Beethoven, Mozart, whatever. And then was surprised. It's like, we weren't picked. It's just like, do you know how many people probably sent the exact same programs, like exact same instrumentation? And as like, no matter how good you are. If you're putting something like this together, there's probably a very high chance where it's just like, oh, I don't want to hear this again. <laughs> like, you know, or we already have someone doing that or whatever. I don't know. That makes Absolutely. Sense. I think people also tend to get bored. Yes. You know, audiences that are subject to the same repertoire, um, concert from concert to concert. I, I think that's extremely monotonous, you know, and I think there's something exciting and adventurous in, 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 sitting in a premiere of a new work yes. you know if it's the very first time this piece will be performed that's it's extremely exciting for me it open opens up worlds you know and possibilities you know it's like that maybe something uh, super philosophical like the moment you create something new you open up a new dimension or you open up a new um possibility for the world to to go towards you know yes yeah completely i agree well, thank you very much. If there's, if people wanted to uh, follow you to to hear, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, like your stuff gets done so often. Where's the best? Uh, <laughs> Make it all sounds like so often uh, in in a bad way. I'm kidding. But like, um, how uh, how best can people follow you if they want to sort of uh, keep up, uh, keep in touch with you, or to to follow your concerts? Well, I think the best thing to do is um, to like my Facebook page. I've got a Facebook page that I post videos and recordings too regularly and i also use instagram i put a lot of videos on instagram um and they can always um go on apple music or google play or any of the online streaming platforms i've got a few albums up there and i try really try to um do a lot of recordings of my stuff um, and put it on online for people to listen to so they can check it out online all of the streaming services um has some of my stuff yeah and i think if they want to know about concerts and stuff uh, social media is the best platform okay cool